Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and getting ready to head down to San Antonio, Texas right after this to coach uh, Big Brian through a meet down there. Nice. And my name is Dave Whitley. Uh, call me Iron Tamer, and I'm a performing strongman, motivational speaker, and strength coach. Been involved in strength stuff most of my life. Awesome. Yeah, we, we've had David on uh, nine years ago. We were just figuring this out, everybody, before we hit the record button. <laughs> so we're going to catch up with what he's done um, since that time. If you want his origin story, of course, you can go back uh, to 2010 uh, and our, what episode was that, Phil? Do you remember? 70, 79. 79. And you can get his uh, origins from the very beginning. Uh, we're going to start with a little bit of news, though, before catching up with with Dave about his recent nine years. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Um, these are a little funny. Uh, sometimes, of course, <laughs> listeners, you guys know that we'll do like a recent breaking study and that sort of thing. These are both food industry uh, news bits, and they're sort of dueling and sparring with each other, which I think is funny. So I'm going to start with one that probably isn't surprising, which is a huge part of the food industry is moving toward fake meat. You know, Phil's was... (laughs) Phil was bitching about this the other week about, you know, I don't want a steak that's actually made from broccoli. I want a steak, you know, and stuff like that. But the food industry is really um, moving toward plant-based stuff. Now, I'm old enough, and I bet you guys are too, that you guys remember back in the day, like in high school, they would serve like soy burgers, you know, and you're like, oh, come on, you know, this is it's not a hamburger uh, kind of thing. (laughs) But, But in any case... They're getting better at it, and they're moving in that direction. So Tim Hortons is jumping on the bandwagon here. So this is very much in tune with the surge in plant-based protein powders, uh, plant-based proteins in the grocery store, and even in fast food. So this says Tim Hortons. And if Fortress was on, he would he would be um, snickering about this because, of course, they're real big in Canada, coffee shop, of course. Uh, there's a few down here in Ohio I don't know if you get down to your level in latitudes, Phil, if they actually have Tim Hortons coffee. No. uh, Kind of a northern thing. But it says Tim Hortons uh, has quickly expanded its plant-based offerings. In June, the Canadian coffee chain launched Beyond Meat Breakfast Sandwiches. Uh, And they're also adding these sort of plant-based options to their lunch and dinner menus it says, uh, now it's the first major fast food chain to test plant-based eggs. So they're putting fake eggs, essentially, plant-based eggs in breakfast sandwiches. It says, quote, we're always listening to our guests and testing a wide variety of potential products in select restaurants across the country, said Sarah McConnell, media rep at Tim Hortons. 
So if you are in the north, uh, I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners, and of course, if you live close enough to the Canadian border uh, like I do, then you do see some Tim Hortons. They're going to have yeah. yeah breakfast sandwiches that are are, are made of um, plant based eggs. I guess. Uh, yeah, I can add on to this. One of my clients, who's a Canadian lifter that moved down here to train with me, just went back and visited her family for a month, and her and her husband came back and. Like they said, the only place now that sells real beef burgers is McDonald's. Everyone else has switched. Wow. To be on to be on meat, and they, she's from. They are directly north of us, so it's like the Kansas of Canada. So it's very <laughs> like farmers and blue collar. And she said everybody's pissed. Everybody's pissed. Oh so. wow! But I guess the butchers are making a killing because everybody's going and buying meat now instead of going out. So, but yeah, it's the only yeah. way you can get it, I guess, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that's very reflective. I mean, I can tell uh, listeners behind the scenes, I get all these industry magazines and, you know, journals and whatnot, and all of them, I mean, this is clearly the directions th- that these places are going, and it does look like the average, well, I almost said American, but obviously, or Canadian or, or wherever, the average pr- consumer is interested in, in these sorts of things. My concern is that plant-based proteins usually are incomplete compared to animal-based. You know, they're missing one or more of the indispensable amino acids. Now, it's not usually a problem if you eat a real wide variety of plant-based proteins throughout the day. But, you know, there's some disturbing work out of Stu Phillips' lab from years ago that, like, for example, soy doesn't stimulate muscle protein synthesis in the same way that, let's say, whey does uh, after a workout, things like that. But but I digress. The other one, and my only other one here before... um, Phil can start asking some questions of Dave here, is the opposite. And I just think this is funny. So, Phil, you mentioned McDonald's being like this Mm -hmm. single exemplar of of beef. This one is entitled, Arby's is exploring meat-based vegetables. (laughs) It's the opposite. (laughs) It's the opposite. So instead of vegetable-based meats, so it says here, um, this came out of Atlanta. And again, a lot of this stuff is, let's see, I think this is from Institute of Technologists. Uh, oh no! Food business news. Um, if, if I can interrupt you for a second, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Leonardo DiCaprio line here and say that a moment ago you had my interest. Now you have my attention. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so it says a growing number of restaurants are adding plant based alternatives, uh, including, and this is sort of to Phil's point, Burger King, Red Robin. Oh, not Red Robin. Uh, White Castle. <laughs> Applebee's, uh, there's just several of these brands on here. Uh, it says uh, TGI Fridays, Carl's Jr., A&W, Del Taco, all offering uh, items made with Beyond Meat. Uh, it says Arby's, on the other hand, is moving in a different direction. Quote, plant-based meats are the latest incarnation of making vegetables look like what Americans really want, which is great, tasty meat says Jim Taylor, chief marketing officer at Arby's. Uh, universally, people know that we're supposed to eat vegetables every day, but 90% of Americans don't eat that recommended amount. Uh, so we said if others can make meat out of vegetables, why can't we make vegetables out of meat? Uh, and there's a picture on here that actually shows these. Um, it's sausages basically shaped into carrots. <laughs> so they're using sausage as the raw material. And they're making it look like carrots. Uh, let's see. It says, Mr. Taylor tasked Neville Craw, 
VP of Culinary Innovation and Brand Executive Chef for Arby's, creating the first vegetable, so meat, <laughs> meat-based vegetable. Uh, and so this is a, a carrot, it looks like. They're calling it the merit. It's meat that looks like a carrot. So I just thought I would share that. It's like dueling, you know, sparring um, marketing reps in the food yeah. industry. And Arby's is bucking the trend. A lot of people probably remember that Bar- Arby's is the one who they talk about meat craft and they're all about mm-hmm. the meats. And um, it's almost a mocking move. But uh, it would yeah. be interesting to see if it takes off. So, Okay. That's it for the. That's for, fascinating. That's, that's it. fascinating, and, and I'm I'm going to file both of those things under the category of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Both ways. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's what I didn't understand about the whole Canadian thing. Is like I understand offering it. You know, having them both. I don't understand making the complete switch. <clears throat> it's it sounds like a bad business strategy to me, <laughs> but. Uh, because you're you're excluding a large percentage of the population that just maybe still wants meat, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, if you remember last week, there's all the talk about confusing consumers and how oh god, if you don't call everything meat, it confuses consumers and yeah. right, and we're like sort of bitching that it's the opposite. Like I'm yeah. actually confused if I go buy a carrot at Arby's and it's made out of sausage, I'm scratching my head, you know, but. <laughs> If I go get an egg sandwich and it's made out of soy, that's kind of pissing me off too. So yeah. I, I'm confused. Like to me, it's like everything goes now, and we don't even have common definitions for what's a plant and what's a meat anymore. So anyway, yeah. So, anyways, Dave. So how you been? Well, it's been nine years since we had you on. What have you been up to? Um, lots and lots of things. I've done a lot of traveling, a lot of teaching. Um, had a son. Mm-hmm. And uh, lots of fun stuff like that. Um, that's that's my my big thing right now that I'm telling everybody about. My son just turned nine months old, and I'm uh, um, it's my first child, and super excited about it. And and all of the all of the cliches that new parents say. But what set sets me apart from a lot of folks that are new dads is that I'm I was 49 years old when we had him. So yeah. Oh, um, yeah. he'll turn he'll turn one, and then I'll turn 50. Which is um, a little bit backwards from how we do things traditionally, I guess. But that's sort of on par for me. Um, so that's fun. Uh, let's see. In 2010, when I was on the show, I would have been part of the RKC mm-hmm. with uh, Dragon Door Publications and Pavel and, and all of all of that. If anyone's familiar with it, if you're not, that's just the way it was, and that's what I did. I was with them as a master instructor i think that started in 2010 so somewhere right around the time that i was on the show last time i was um in the position newly of being a master instructor for the rkc kettlebell certifications and all that sort of stuff um the rkc split into two different factions uh, when pavel left dragon door and i was a part of the new organization called strong first from 20 2012 or 2013 i guess it's 2013 until uh 2016 is that right yeah three years ago so right about three years ago beginning of september end of august i decided it was best for me to move on in a different direction and so i got away from all of that um 
since then, I have been ramping up things as a performing strongman and motivational speaker, doing lots of corporate stuff, and I'm doing more and more um, youth stuff, like for kids, high school, that that kind of stuff. Um, and what I do with that is I do various feats of strength, bending steel, breaking chains, ripping decks of cards, and I wrap all of that up into a, an inspirational message. Um, wrote a couple of books, one on my favorite lift, the bent press, and another one on uh, um, mental aspects of life and lessons learned from being a strong man called Superhuman You, which is about how to discover and develop your own superhuman powers to fully express yourself and be happy and make the world a better place. And most recently, I have, um, well, I, I owned a gym for quite a while there, actually about a year ago, right now, right around the beginning of August of last year, I closed that gym down to focus more on the, the speaking and, and strongman stuff and also online uh, aspects of my business. And the most recent thing is I've uh, gotten very enamored of minimalist training since my son Liam got here because um, anyone who's got kids knows that those first few months, first couple of years, I guess, maybe, hell, even longer than that, <laughs> I'm only not going to this thing, um, time becomes a super precious commodity. And so I can't go well since i don't have a gym anymore that's part of it too but at the time was i could go into the gym and be there for seven or eight hours and train some people and do some classes and just have as much time to leisurely work on whatever i wanted to work on as far as my own training uh, but that those days are not not now and so time is a precious commodity and i started looking into more of a minimalist approach and ultimately um, arrived at the idea of can I do something that takes less than two hours a week and only uses a single piece of equipment or no equipment at all and still get results out of it. And so I put, put all that together and my most recent offering into the market is at the one dumbbell challenge.com. Uh, well, week program that is designed to get you exactly what I just said, meaningful results in less than two hours a week without having to travel back and forth to the gym. If you just have a single dumbbell, you can get it done. So that brings us up to now. There you go. <clears throat> I don't want to get into the topic too much um, as far as going into to minimalistic training. but um, So you, you're speaking. I know you do a lot of motivational speaking and stuff like that. How do people get a hold of you for that? And what do you talk? I mean, what's it's got to be. It's more than just lifting. So what do you get into as far as your message and things like that? Um. If anyone's interested in contacting me about that, the website is irontamer.com, and you can go on there, and there's a uh, little like drop-down form where you can type in your information. It'll send an email to me. Or if you just want to email me directly at irontamer at gmail.com, you can do that too. Um, <clears throat> as far as topics go, the entire um, overview of all the different – like four different talks that I have sort of templates for, um, for various different things. There's the corporate angle. There's the, the youth angle. There's the, um, like the teacher and school admin angle. And within, within the corporate, there's a couple different directions I can take stuff. There's success and then there's leadership. And I kind of differentiate those two things, but the overlying theme of all of it is, becoming superhuman and whatever that means to you 
in terms of what is the thing that you do that you love doing that makes you better, that helps everyone else get better too. That gives you a hint at what your superhuman powers are. Because and, and I, I go I go in depth in the talk defining what does superhuman mean because you know we think about um, movies and, and comic books and all of that sort of stuff. I mean the, the Avengers just crossed over with the most recent movie, which I still haven't seen, into the the highest grossing movie of all time. So there's something about superhuman abilities that that. Uh, draws everyone's attention and I believe it's because we see things in them that we aspire to be like the best qualities that we have as humans are embodied in these superhuman characters and so I help people to figure out what it is that puts them into a superhuman state um, while in this particular world that we live in where people don't actually fly or shoot lasers out of their eyes or, or any, of that, any of that kind of stuff Nice. I mean, Lonnie, I think since we've had the, uh, we've talked about days past before, I think we just go to the commercial and get on the topic. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's go to break. We'll be back in just a minute, everybody. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. 
you'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we're back. We're on with Dave Whitley, the Iron Tamer, and we're going to talk about minimalistic training. I know we've talked about it before. I mean, I've said it numerous times that I think a fatal mistake that people make with training is uh, they come in with a laundry list of things to do, so it means they end up half-assing all of it because they know they're looking at exercise number one and they're looking to clear down to exercise number 14. <laughs> and you end up reserving energy throughout your training instead of, like I've, I've put the challenge out there to people. It's like I, I challenge them to come into my facility and like we're literally just going to squat for an hour and a half. And then once we're done, tell me what we missed. So um, mm-hmm. it's usually mm-hmm. nothing. So um, and <coughs> Dave has a new site and a new book on this. So we're going to get into the uh, what he's talking about. And like he mentioned before in the the, the beginning of the show was if, you, if you're sparse on time, too, it can be a huge deal. And I think people just make – they try to make training too complicated when it really doesn't need to be. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, one dumbbell challenge and talk about sure. what you got going on. Sure. Well, um, like I was saying before, the the genesis of the whole thing had to do with my own personal experience. Um, I wanted something that was time efficient and result producing and could be done with minimal equipment. And even though for what, 15, 16 years now, maybe longer than that, I've been um, very deeply steeped in the use of kettlebells and, and um, all of the stuff that goes along with that. And, and I've done some pretty interesting things in terms of just using kettlebells and, and kind of focusing in with a minimalist attitude toward that. I started back down that path again, and instead of being excited and feeling like, yeah, let's go do this, I got met with the, the feeling coming out of myself of, oh, well, we're going to do this again, I guess. Mm-hmm. And... I know me well enough to know that I'm just like everybody else in the sense that if I'm, uh, oh, well, I guess we'll do this, I'm probably not going to do whatever that thing is for very long (laughs) or very much um, gusto. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, what can I, how can I make this work? And I started, you know, throwing in different things. I was doing some barbell work. I was doing some some, uh, like general conditioning, tire flipping, sledgehammer stuff all that. And I started adding in things like battling ropes and I'm all this is while I'm still keeping progress and, and working on, um, the feats of strength that I do in the show for a living, you know, so bending steel, blowing up hot water bottles, ripping deck, all that kind of stuff. And I realized that this is not sustainable. This is not how I'm, what I'm really wanting to do. So I'm like, what can I just completely strip away? Well, the feats practice I have to keep doing because that's just a matter of being able to deliver something as part of my profession. So, okay, that's, that's still going to happen. And, um, to borrow some, uh, some philosophy from Adam Glass and Frankie Fairs, it's like, what's the minimum amount of work that I can do to keep these, to keep my strength up and continuing to trend upward in these particular skills. And so that's pretty familiar to me and, and I can do that without a whole lot of um, recovery time needed or, or a whole lot of training time needed. It's just very much like 
practicing anything. Uh, but as far as the overall strength and conditioning, working with a single dumbbell became very appealing to me because I, when I closed my gym down, I brought home all the gear that I wanted to keep and sold the rest of it. And it's actually outside in a shed that is um, made of tin and has three walls and a ceiling. So it's a big open machine shed like you'd park a tractor in. Mm-hmm. So when it's chilly here, I'm not going to say cold because I know that that cold is relative between north and south. So it doesn't really get cold here, but it'll get chilly. It'll get down to where you know water freezes in the lake and all that, but it doesn't get cold like it does up in Minnesota. So I... Um, not really concerned about cold as much, but it does get hot in the tin. So I'm like, how can I get in and get out as quick as I can so that I'm not overly exposing myself to this heat and cold and the unpleasantness of all that. And so I started looking at what can I do with this one dumbbell? Okay. First of all, we need to look at some big full body movements and the, the one dumbbell challenge has, um, how many different big movements? I'm drawing a blank on it right now, how many it is. I'd have to count it up. But anyway, we can just go through them. Um, big full-body compound movements like the dumbbell snatch, dumbbell clean and press, um, using the dumbbell the same way you would a kettlebell for goblet squats. Um, what else in there? One-arm rows. I said one-arm presses, I think. And then... Um, for a horizontal push, I throw in a few push-up variations that can be done. And then on days that I'm not lifting the dumbbell, I'm doing various crawling type things. Um, primitive movement patterns, stuff that I got mostly from the people over at OriginalStrength.net. So I worked all that into a, 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 a cohesive thing that made sense on a, on a, on a weekly schedule. And I thought, okay, what's the the most time-efficient way to do this and do it without the necessity of having adjustable dumbbells to increase weight? I wanted this to be something that somebody could do with a single solid dumbbell that they'd buy like at Sports Authority or uh, uh, play it against sports or wherever. And so I figured out that a dumbbell that weighs about 25 to 35% of body weight is most optimal. And I thought, okay, if, if time is of the essence here, what kind of protocols can I use that ensure that when I get, when I get in, I know what I'm going to get out. When, when will I be done with this thing? So I can get back to changing diapers and and doing all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, so I looked at, uh, various density protocols, um, Oh, something I left out in the update uh, for the past 10 years is I uh, went to Ireland and trained with uh, Paul McElroy and became one of the coaches for his amazing 12 uh, physique transformation program, which is phenomenal. And Paul's been a big influence on my thinking in terms of density protocols as well. So what I did is I set it up on a three times every two weeks schedule for each lift. And we start with you go in and you do as many reps as you can do comfortably and well in a given time period. And then after the first two weeks, rather than adding weight, I started adding time. And that's the, the fundamental uh, 
basis of the whole thing. We start out at just 10 minutes per movement. And then by the time we get to the end of it in 12 weeks, we're at 20 minutes per movement. But we're still coming in less than two hours a week. Mm-hmm. But we, it, even if you keep the same pace during those 10 uh, uh, that you have on the first workout of the first week for 10 minutes, throughout the entire 12 weeks, you're still going to double your volume. Mm-hmm. But intensity training doesn't work like that because we're constantly striving to do more reps in that same amount of time. So you'll more than double your volume over the course of 12 weeks, which is phenomenally effective and extremely time efficient. And just in case people aren't familiar with the various density protocols or even what density is, we can talk about the three main metrics that I use um, for lifting or you can do it for, for just about any physical activity. Um, but primarily, we hear it spoken of in lifting. We have intensity, which is what most people think about, and that is not how much noise you can make and, and how much you can yell and snort talk and all that kind of stuff. Intensity is, the, is just mathematically a percentage of a given number. So if we're looking at, um, say, the deadlift, if you can deadlift 500 pounds for a one-rep max, and it's a true one-rep max, like the kind where you're halfway up in a, and a mosquito lands on the bar and you drop it because you can't handle literally another microgram of weight. True one rep max is 500 pounds. Then 400 pounds would be 80% intensity. 350 pounds would be 70% intensity. You can see how that math works. And that's what everybody thinks about when they think about improvement or progression is just adding more weight to the bar. If I started out at 70% intensity at the beginning of a cycle, and by the end of it, I'm doing 85% intensity, then I've increased that. And then you can test one rep max and intensity levels, um, values of percentages change based on whatever the one rep max is. If you were going to use an intensity metric for something like uh, kettlebell swings, kettlebell snatches, or any sort of an endurance type thing, you would take the... um, number of reps done with a weight during that given period of time as a maximal effort. Or I guess if you were, say you were running, you could, how far did you run in a given period of time all out? That would be a, um, a 100% intensity for that. <clears throat> so let's say that we're talking about kettlebell snatches and you can do 200 kettlebell snatches with a given weight in 15 minutes. Well, if you go in and set a timer for 15 minutes and you do, um, 150 kettlebell snatches with the same weight, then you're operating at 75% intensity. I hope that makes sense and that I'm not just kind of, you know, glossing over it too much. I'm, I'm fairly confident that most people that are listening to this show would be familiar with these concepts anyway. So I'll just give a quick summary. Um, but that's the one that the average person thinks of as the way to measure progress. And if you're not putting more weight on the bar or doing more reps in the same time period, then or, or, or doing more reps with the same weight, then you're not increasing your intensity at all. But that's not, or, or, and, and that's true, but you can still progress without changing the level of intensity, mm-hmm. which is that mathematical formula percentage of a given number. Mm-hmm. The second metric that comes to mind is volume, and it's directly related. If I can lift a weight that weighs 100 pounds for 10 reps, and that's all I got, and then next time I'm able to lift it for 12 reps, then there's a, a 20% increase in volume during that particular session. 
And the same thing would be true with uh, the uh, time snatch example earlier. If I start out at my my maximum is 200 reps in 15 minutes, and then I come back in three months and I'm doing 220 reps in 15 minutes with the same rate of perceived effort, then I am doing 10% more volume. Um, and that's that's pretty much how that works. The thing that gets overlooked most often, but I think is really one of the most powerful things that we can utilize, is density. And density draws on the other two in that we are concerned with the amount of work done in a given period of time. And there are two ways to progress on this. So if I can, let's say if I can, uh, we'll use the snatches because it's it's an easy one to use. If I can do um, 200 snatches in 15 minutes with a given weight and I can do next session, I do 220, but it takes me 20 minutes. I kept the same pace, maybe. I'm not really doing the math on that as I'm going. You can see that if it takes longer to do more, you didn't change um, density. What density would improvement would be is if I can do 220 in 15 minutes or if I can do 200 the same amount of work in less time, like say 13 minutes, just arbitrarily pulling numbers out. So <clears throat> density is related to intensity and volume, but it's sort of a manipulation of those. And so if if you can do something for 100 reps now in a given period of time, and in three weeks, you can do the same 100 reps in less time, you've increased your density. And likewise, if you do it for 100 reps now in a certain period of time, and in three weeks, you're doing 120 reps in the same period of time, then there's an increase in density from from that perspective as well. So those are very useful metrics to track. And, and I got very, um, very enamored of pointing that out to clients when I was running a gym because they would come in and maybe they would stick at the same weight for several weeks, but we were pushing to do more reps and more reps in the same period of time or to compress those reps into less time. And so I could point out mathematically on a piece of paper, okay, the weight hasn't gone up, but you are stronger because you're doing more work. Mm -hmm. And being able to get that paradigm shift on people away from adding weight to the bar is the only way to make progress and toward looking for different ways to make progress in a given situation in, in, within a given session, it was very uh, empowering to them and, and made it obvious that they were making progress literally every single workout. Right on. Yeah, and I think, uh, I'm just going to add, I think the biggest mistake that people get into, especially maybe our listeners here, which is very much strength based and uh, traditional. Oh, powerlifting, bodybuilding, things like that is, is that they get caught up and the only thing that matters to them is the number on the bar and doing more. And they lose the other ways to progress. <clears throat> so that you just touched on. So. Well, and if you're a recreational athlete or a, a non-competitive athlete, I should say, um, does it really matter what your one rep max is? No, not at all. It, it, it doesn't. I'm, I'm much more interested for myself in, driving up my five rep max mm -hmm. because I know if my five rep max goes up, my one rep max will go up mm -hmm. and one rep max um, for me and for a lot of the people that I've worked with, if we focus on that and we keep coming back to testing that out, it becomes very emotionally draining mm -hmm. and driving up a five rep max just is more fun. And I don't really know why that is, but it just seems that way to me. 
I think yeah. it's more functional too. You know, if you can move, uh, let's say, uh, eighty-five or ninety percent load for five reps. I mean, when you think about daily tasks and stuff, it's rarely a single super brief effort. It just seems more functional in that kind of five rep range, at least to me. Well, sure. Yeah, it's also generally speaking, uh, it's also a lot safer. Because yeah. let's say you're going five and you get to three and it's like, oh, this is going bad. You still have the abort button you can push. Whereas yeah. there's there's no abort on number one. So it's just. Uh, yeah, true. Well, there is, but none uh, of us want to be in that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, no, and the first thing that gets me thinking about this with the dumbbell challenge is, you know, like, I'm, I'm very time constrained as well. I've got a, a four-year-old son. I've got two businesses I run and this and that. So I end up training. I get most of my training in one day a week. But, right. Well, it's what I call training. Uh, I do other stuff during the week, but it's not a real training session. I try and fit in what I can here and there. Would be doing something like this and fitting it into somebody like me. I'm a competitive power lifter. I get my squats, my benches, my deadlift all on Saturday. But the possibility of adding in something like this as the other days uh, sure. <laughs> seems like it'd be a good, uh, a good fit in. So, I mean, is something like that possible with what we got going on? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not the pure program that that I put together. Obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're putting two goals in at the same time, mm-hmm. but um, it would definitely support that. I, I if if someone came to me and asked me that that same question professionally, of course, I'd want to look and see what they're actually doing on the on the squat bench and deadlift days, but sure. I have a pretty good idea of, of how the, the top, uh, or the most common three or four different approaches to, uh, powerlifting work. So I would say, yeah, we could yeah. do Saturday could be your powerlifting day. And, and, you know, you've got several, probably a couple hours that you're, that you're going to take to get all the work done in there to do that because the rest between sets and, and, and everything that's involved with that. But then I would probably say on a couple of other days, we might do something <clears throat> like with the, with the one dumbbell challenge, um, the three days that we're doing the dumbbell work, it's two sessions that start out at 10 minutes each and end up at 20 minutes each. So um, those are the density um, parameters. And there's three mm-hmm. days of that. So what I would do in a case like what you're asking me is, is, I would drop that down to one session and I would probably start at 15 minutes instead of 10 mm-hmm. and say that, okay, you're lifting, you're doing your power lifting on Saturday. Let's do your, your dumbbell conditioning type work on either Monday or Tuesday and also on Thursday. So that way we've got as much of a buffer in between, probably on Tuesday and Thursday. If you're, if you're lifting, really hard on Saturday. We'll give you a couple of days to recover from that. And then we would have you go in and do say 15 minutes of uh, dumbbell snatches, trying to drive that density up each successive training session. So if you got 50 reps per hand on day one, we're shooting for 51 reps per hand or more on day two. And then um, on the other day of density training, I would probably with squat, bench, and deadlift, I would probably let the other movement be a one-arm dumbbell row because I think that that horizontal pull would be the thing that would be most um, needed, most lacking 
in relation to building strength for your powerlifting. You didn't say anything about accessory work, but I'm assuming if you're approaching it from a mentalist standpoint and you're the kind of guy that would take somebody in on a dare to squat for 90 minutes and not do anything else, then <laughs> say that probably, and, and I'm speculating on this, yeah. most of your powerlifting work is going to be the powerlifts themselves. Yeah. Practice the technique and add the weight. So that horizontal pull would be the thing that would be most lacking from just a pure squat, bench, and deadlift. Um, and the conditioning that goes along with the snatch, I think, would be very beneficial as well. I reserve the right, as I think about this more, to come back in a few days and pull either one of those and replace it with a one-arm clean and press. But I hesitate to put much overhead pressing into a program where someone's doing a lot of bench pressing. Lonnie, what do you got? Well, one of the things that you guys are talking about that makes me think, uh, like, Dave, for example, I mean, I guess my question would be, a lot of this recent interest of yours stems from your own personal lack of time, right? That kind of thing. And I don't think you're alone in that. Uh, I guess I would wonder, are you rare, though, in that your advanced status makes maintenance, like of muscle mass, for example, or strength, does it make maintenance easier compared to someone like an intermediate, right? I mean, like you and Phil, your guys are talking about very minimal investment here. Um, but you're already, you know, you've got this long-standing base of development, and it's easier to maintain, I would argue, than to break new ground in a lot of ways. And you guys are just really advanced, so you guys can get away with the minimalist thing. Maybe an early intermediate uh, couldn't. Um, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just looking for input on this kind of stuff. I don't think so. I think that gains are harder to come by the more advanced you are okay. in your experience anyway. I think that if I, for example, if I take some time off from a particular movement and then circle back around to it, it's easier for me to get back to where I was right. or near where I was when I stopped. But to go forward from there is not as easy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it, it depends on on where in the continuum of beginner to advance we're talking about this intermediate being. Because if they're a few years into it and they change to something like let's say that they've been doing a more of a traditional sets and reps, uh, you know, five sets of five or whatever, something like that, coming into it. If they change to a density protocol, it's such and they've never done it before. It's such a novel stimulus that it can be um, surprising how much progress can be, main, uh, can be made in a very short period of time just because the stimulus is so different. Mm-hmm. You know, our, uh, as human beings, talking about superpowers, we have two that are common to everyone. The first one is imagination, which I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent here, but like literally everything around me in the room that I'm in right now was imagined before it became a reality. And so all of us can imagine something and then go about creating it. The second one, which is more relevant to to what we're talking about here, is the ability to rationalize and reason out how to create adaptations to stimulus in ourselves. So the, the trap of the one rep max is the narrow thinking of, of the only way that I can grow stronger, which is an adaptation, is to add weight to the bar. And the only way I can add weight to the bar is to grow stronger, and you get caught in that loop. But if we use our ability to to reason and think things through and research, 
and look at our own experience and see what actually worked, then we can reason out a way to make adaptations work in the same way using a different stimulus. So you'll get you'll get a lot stronger doing a density protocol if you've never done one and you're coming off of a of a more traditional five sets of five or eight sets of three something like that. Um, you'll also put on some muscle mass with it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of at the end of a of a given period of time, usually somewhere between twelve weeks and a year of doing the density protocol, you'll you'll adapt very well to that. And adaptation part of the the reason that it exists it's to make things that are a new novel stimulus to us not cause us to react physiologically with as much um intensity for lack of a better word it's it's a different definition but like initial adaptations beginner gains you know you can you can deadlift 135 pounds you've never lifted anything before it's not unreasonable to expect someone to be able to get to 250, 275, maybe even over 300 pounds within a year if they're healthy. Yeah, um, that's the beginner gain on on that. Um, we can reason that out and think, okay, what stimulus? I've been doing deadlifts for a year. I've done this, and in the first six months, I put 200 pounds on, and in the last six months, I put 30 pounds on. Mm-hmm. Um, what what can I do to change the stimulus to get a response that's more in line with what I want? And so you just change to whatever you come up with and you give it a test run and you see how it works. And if you go back and forth between things like that, um, I believe that your capacity for adaptation, uh, it, it becomes easier to adapt to whatever stimulus comes your way. It's like you're literally practicing the ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. And you do that by giving yourself various different stimuli um, to get that adaptive response going. Yeah, it makes sense to me that you, like, because I would argue probably a lot of our listeners are in that sort of intermediate-ish range, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not doing feats of strength. They're not squatting 800 pounds. So they might not have the um, heroic adaptive base, you know, that someone like maybe you one of you guys might have. But the point being is, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me that they might take a mesocycle, um, a period of eight to twelve weeks, and just completely change the point. Especially if they've got diminishing turns, like you're talking about, which is sort of a principle, right? Everybody's going to eventually get diminishing returns in the weight on the bar. Uh, they're not going to make beginner gains all you know linearly forever. It sounds interesting to me. My one question would be though, with this density approach. I mean, if time is fixed and the weight, like the dumbbell, is fixed. In, in these equations, what what you've got is how quickly you can get more reps in, right, in that yes. time period. Do you ever feel rushed doing that? I mean, you're an experienced lifter. You're probably not going to break skill at some point, right? You're, you'll put down the dumbbell, but could is that a potential pitfall? I'm just trying to be devil's advocate here, right, because we have a lot of intermediate lifters and whatnot. Um, does this ever feel rushed, this density approach? It does sometimes, but... Um... I am I am not really a competitive guy, which is kind of strange given that I do what I do. Um, if if you can call on the healthy aspects of being competitive and kind of channel that rushing into uh, excitement, then then you're doing well with it. But yeah, I can see where it could be that way, and 
um, someone who wasn't as skilled at, or didn't have the same amount of body awareness as a more advanced person could let their execution, their form kind of deteriorate in order to get more reps in. And that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just another way to mess up, just like uh, what we were talking about earlier with um, there's no abort button on the first rep of one rep max. Um, if you're in the middle of that rep and you know that it's going bad, then you got to deal with it. If you're in a in a density protocol and you're like, okay, I'm, I really want to really want to beat my previous number and put an increase on it from that, but as you're getting closer to the end, you're seeing that your pace is falling off. The smart thing to do, and what I do myself, is recognize that and be like, okay, what's really going on here? I only got three hours of sleep last night instead of what I normally get. And there's this and this and this external stressor in my life. Okay, that's clearly affecting my performance. I'm just going to just ease back and relax a little bit. And I'll do a, a an unplanned, um, for lack of a better term, deload on that session and just an honor of what my body's telling me. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, who's it? It's Dan John that talked about that a lot. That the, like 10% of days are really good days. 10% are really bad days. 80% are just days. So yeah, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have those bad days, and you have to be mature and, and take those. Well, so. and and if it, and and I don't I don't call them bad days. I frame them in such a way that okay, this is a day that I needed more rest. Yeah, which is not a bad thing, you know. No, and, no, no, I agree. And, and if we, it's important to not let our identity get wrapped up in putting weight on the bar, putting reps on the board, you know, because nobody or at least I don't want to be the strongest broken guy in the room. Yeah. Down south where I am, we call those people used to coulds. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, in a system like this, which I've done some density stuff before, I don't people think people realize that it's, it's not as mentally taxing as it seems. When you approach that next day, and let's say you have a baseline, I did 200 snatches. Sure. Okay, to progress, I just need to do 201. Yep, I I can do one more, and then you can walk away happy. You know, I did one more than last time, and that is that's literal progress. Literal, so it, it makes it easy to it makes it easy to eat. You know, it does. Uh, so it does, yeah. and like with the the classic story that that always gets pointed at that defines progressive resistance is Milo and the bull, right? So mm-hmm. Milo would pick the bull up and carry it every day. He didn't pick the bull up. After he added a, a forty-five pound plate to it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and uh, the other thing no one talks about is every year he would get a new calf. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't carrying a full-grown bull once it got full-grown forever. Yeah. He was yeah. cycling, yeah, that, which I find interesting. Yeah, peaks and valleys. Um, yeah, and also after I, I realized just now we're. Um, in the midst of all this talk about density training, I have not mentioned Charles Staley. He was, Charles was the first person that I, um, Charles and Alan Cosgrove were the first two people that I'd ever read anything about density training. Um, he calls his particular variant of the protocol escalated density training, which is EDT. But it was probably back in 2003, 2004 that I first got exposed to, to the idea. And it made sense to me then. So I just want to make sure if I'm on a, on a public forum talking about density training, I don't forget to mention Charles because he had an impact on me a long time ago. One more question. So, uh, well, it's probably several questions, but anyways. So at first, week to week, we advance by trying to fit more work, more quality work into the same amount of time. 
Yes. Correct. And then at a point we add more time. Correct. Um, this can't go on for an infinite amount of time. Is there ever a point in time where you just earn the right to, okay, and now I get a bigger dumbbell? Sure. Sure. <laughs> I mean, um, it's the, the idea of working within these confined parameters was to make it as simple as possible for the yeah. average person. Um, but I talk about it in the videos in the instructional section of this, that if you want to add weight, feel free to, but we're still going to be increasing time. Yeah. Um, the, the way that the, the density set up is after three sessions of any given lift, which is a two week period. So like, let's say the first week would be Monday, Friday, and then the, the second week would be Wednesday. And then you have two different sessions. So you'd be, do like A, B, A, and then B, A, B. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, when you get done with that little two week mini cycle that's within the 12 weeks, that's when you add time and, um, you only add two minutes. So again, like that adding one more snatch, then I'm only, I only have to go for two more minutes. It's not like I'm doubling the amount of time that I'm doing this. So let's say for example, you're doing uh, snatches again and you do in 10 minutes on that third session, you do 200 reps, a hundred per arm in the 10 minutes, which is a lot. Um, when we roll into the next period uh, the next two week period, the next session of that, you'll have 12 minutes. And my recommendation is get the same number of reps as you got in 10 minutes during that 12 minute period. And then if you feel like doing throwing a few more in go ahead and do that. So there's a, a built in wave with that approach as the time increases. I'm not asking you to maintain the same pace mm -hmm. the entire time. I'm, I'm saying let that pace fill up 12 minutes instead of 10 minutes at the beginning of the third week. And then we will work toward having by the end of the second two week period, um, hopefully the same pace per minute as we had at 10 minutes only now it's for 12, thereby getting that, that, uh, increase in both volume and well in, in density. Yeah, for sure. Much like you talked about with Milo, basically you're going to push it for three weeks. Now you're going to back off a little bit, extend the time and then try sure. to push it again. Other, yeah. Other, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. The other thing that never gets mentioned with Milo, <laughs> Is it is I've never heard anyone talk about how far he carried the bull or how long it took him. Yeah. I mean, I know it was the, like the length of the stadium, but I've never heard any exact measurements of that. You know, so it, the the principle is there. You just have to have to think about what are the various different things that influence the principle. Because if I'm carrying a bull for ten yards, it's way different than I'm carrying it for a hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in an exercise science lab, this is the concept of power, right? It's force times distance divided by time. So right. if the force is the dumbbell, the distance is, you know, let's say a third of a meter, half a meter. Um, but repeatedly, right, the more repetitions, the more, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that distance increases. Yeah, it's power. And I mean, that's mm -hmm. such a big thing. I mean, one of the things that ties up, uh, I think, a lot of our listeners together is, they're power athletes of some kind. You know, they're a lifter, they're a sprinter, they're a thrower, you know, that kind of stuff. And power is the name of the game in a lot of these sports, not just force, right? Not just yes. the weight. So. Yeah. And and making meaningful comparisons like that is vitally important. Um, have you guys watched that uh, Strongest Man in History thing that's that's been on? I've, I've watched a little bit of it. I've got to sit down and watch the rest, but yeah. I've seen a couple of YouTube clips of it, and this is this. I have absolute respect for all of those guys that are that are in that show. 
but I watched the segment on the overhead press last night, and Paul Anderson's record was 402 pounds clean and press. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, done strict Olympic style back when it was that lift was still contested. There's video of him doing it. Uh, I don't know if there's video of him doing the 402, but there's video of him doing enormous amounts of weight in a in a in a really poorly executed clean, almost like a clean. And once the weight gets to his collarbones, he locks his knees and they do not bend again. And he strict presses this. One of my favorite videos of him is he's got this massive 300 pound dumbbell that he presses for a double with one arm, a side press. It's amazing. Uh, but anyway, I was watching these guys and they're like, okay, we're going to load the bar at 406 because that's the configuration of plates that they had. And we're going to leave the clean out of it. We're going to take it off the rack and press it overhead. And, you know, putting 400 pounds over your head is amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm not taking that away from uh, um, any of these guys, but it's not the same taking it from shoulder to overhead as it is taking it from the ground to the shoulder to overhead. And so those are, that's not really a meaningful comparison is the whole point of that. So I do the best that I can in the one dumbbell challenge to um, um, to, to maintain the integrity of the comparison. So all the snatches go from the ground to overhead. For example, so that's that's a bit of a long-winded explanation, but you guys know what I mean, right? Right on. Well, we're just about out of time. What would be sort of your um, top tips then? I mean, to what are you trying to communicate the most with your most recent work? You know, book, websites. Um, I think we covered a lot of good stuff. I, I love the definitions, right? Because it helps people have a, a language which which they can start to think about building a program. And I, I, I love what you're doing because a lot of this stuff is, it, it meets my needs too. I mean, the older I get, the more time is even more valuable than money, as funny as that sounds. And I mean, I'm always struggling to build some volume, but I don't have the time to do it. Well, <coughs> yep. well this, this squeezes more volume into the same amount of time, you know, or yep. even less time. So the minimalist thing is good. Um, yeah, but can you encapsulate in a message maybe something that you would want to have listeners think about all week? Well, the, the place to start with it is I was wondering what are the biggest problems and the biggest mistakes that I've seen people make that I've made myself that I see people complaining about on social media. And I narrowed it down and decided to make a, a cheat sheet out of it. And so if you go to the one dumbbell challenge.com and put your name and email address in there. Yes, you get put on my mailing list. Yes, I'm going to send your emails. Yes, I will attempt to sell you something. So you know that going in. But this cheat sheet is free, and you don't have to buy anything from me. Hopefully, the cheat sheet itself is valuable enough. But it's these very common mistakes that that happen in training. And I would start from there and look at what are those mistakes how am I making those mistakes or where am I making those mistakes in my training? What can I do to clean it up? Because just doing that will make a significant amount of change in what's going on. If, if you're if you're doing something that doesn't work and you change it to something that does work, by definition, you're going to get better at it. Yeah, It's just a matter of knowing if what I'm doing is actually working or accepting whether it's actually working. I like that a lot. And I like the brief cheat sheet approach because, I mean, I do this myself is – I religiously keep a workout log, but I don't always go back and really analyze it. You know, over the last 12 weeks, what did I I do wrong or what could I have done better? You know, where am I dropping the ball here or, or what am I after? You know, did I meet that goal and should I change up the mesocycle? So I think a lot of people maybe lack, at least I have in the past, 
which is funny because of the nature of my job as a professor. I mean, I do research all the time, but you know, I need to be uh, more analytical and identify uh, some of these things. Uh, and like you said, the, the idea of increasing power output and density, it's, it's such a novel stimulus. I think it, a lot of people, it might break a plateau for them or something like that. Sure. You know, so. And it's so easy to measure, too. You don't have to keep like extremely meticulously anal retentive details in your training logs. Just how many reps did I do last time? How many do I need to do this time? Right on. Because and 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 I I even explain how to how to track that in detail because um, the importance of the training log is easily overlooked and I'll be the first one to admit that I don't keep a training log as well as I could. Um, I don't really know why that is. I think I just get into training mode and don't feel like writing things down. Yeah. yeah. But um, the only thing worse than not making progress is making phenomenal progress and not knowing how you did it when you look back. So if you keep a training log, then you know why it worked or why it didn't work. And if you, you know, five years ago decided to enter a bench press competition and you tried this new thing and you added 30 pounds to your bench press and then you forgot that that's what you did, you can go back and look in your log and be like, okay, I want to compete in this bench press thing. again. What do I need to do? What did I do last time that worked so well? And, and go mine from that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's being a scientist. Observe, record, analyze. Observe, record, analyze. Right. Otherwise, like you said, it's just all subjective and it, it gets lost to time. And yeah, it's sort of a tragedy in a sense, isn't it? Like, oh, my God, I put sure. 30 pounds on my bench and I God, I can't remember what I did. Well, if you exactly. if you observe and record, you can go back and look, you know. Kind yep. of thing, so. yep. If you observe, record and analyze, then you can add that fourth step for, for us lifters. And that is apply right on apply. Absolutely. I just made that up. No, that's that's true. I, I mean, I've often said knowledge isn't power. <laughs> Applied knowledge is power. You know, sure. So for, in, a, in the general sense. But. Absolutely. Napoleon Hill said knowledge is only potential power. It's how it's applied that determines how much power is actually there. Exactly. Awesome. I love it. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, we got some information. Uh, maybe one more time for everybody where they can reach you. They can reach me... Um, if they're interested in any of the strongman or motivational speaking stuff, the website is irontamer.com. Um, the one, the one dumbbell challenge.com is where to go to get your cheat sheet and to find out more about that particular program. And the, this, I've got some, I didn't even mention this. I've got some really sweet bonuses that I threw in there too. I've got an interview with Adam Glass. I've got an interview with Bud Jeffries. And then I've also got um, a special deal on there where I'll throw in a couple of coaching calls with me at a very, very discounted price. So that's at v1dumbbellchallenge.com. And um, otherwise, if you just want to see what I'm up to, Iron Tamer Dave Whitley on social media or on uh, Facebook rather and Iron Tamer on um, Instagram. And then I've got a YouTube channel, too. Again, that's that's Iron Tamer Dave Whitley. So that's how to see what I'm doing and how to get in touch with me. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, my man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention, 
uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.